Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Yo, what up, what up, what up? Yo, for all the eavesdroppers, this podcast is a creative space where creators, movers, and shakers debate current topics and tastes face-to-face. Only then can fresh ideas take shape, and you get to listen over the shoulder. I am your host, Backpack Matt, Mr. SBO, the silent partner himself, coming to you live from Full Service Radio Station here at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Shout out to a world-class engineer to my right, Jack Inslee. In the studio today. See, I had to give myself a round of applause. Hell actually, yeah, man. actually, I wanted to hit it with the bomb. There we go. Facts. It's the wrong much damn button. Fitting. Much more fitting. That's more my speed. What's good, bro? Not much, man. Uh, just got off the plane a few hours ago from Oklahoma. Okay. You know what I mean? So uh, happy I could be here, but you know, it's the holiday season. Happy holidays, bro. Happy holidays to all the listeners. And we got a lot of our uh, our team in transit today. So uh, Tom Tom is currently headed to Miami, or he, he might have just landed there with the Chris Pirate and the rest of the team and the good folks over there for Art Basil. I'll be joining them and a few of the other homies from the DMV tomorrow. So when by the time you're listening to this, I'll probably be down in Miami. So if you're out there, hit, give me a holler, say what's up. But let's get into the uh, topics. Oh, shout out to BMO, by the way. He couldn't be here. But if you miss his voice, I recommend you to listen to the Let's Talk Bruh podcast. Shout out to Jeremy, friend of the show. Dope podcast. And uh it seems like they rap for about an hour and a half about some dope stuff, Max- masculinity, all different types of topics. I haven't heard it yet, but I know it's going to be dope, so I'm going to check it out when I leave here. But let's get to a little short list of uh, agenda items I want to discuss today, and this is going to be one of those special episodes when I just go off on my little tangents and rants, and nobody can really stop me. So, uh, But you can stop me if you want to pause this episode, but I think I got some um, some pretty dope topics to discuss. But first, I got to do some self-serving shit. Today... Even though you won't hear this until the 5th, is December 4th. And December 4th is a special day in America, in the world, in the black community for a multitude of reasons, right? Um, start with the negatives. The day that uh, Fred Hampton was murdered in Chicago um, by undercover police, uh, uh, one of the pivotal members of the Black Panther Party. Uh, so rest in peace to Fred Hampton and may his memory continue to serve on and inspire us to uh, make change and do well for our communities. But today is also the 113th anniversary of the founding of my dear fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Shout out to the alphas out there all over the world, 113 years strong. I myself have been in the game for about 10 years, since November 7th, 2009. Shout out to my line brother, shout out to my chapter, New Sigma chapter over at Stanford University. I owe so much of my life and the progress in my life since crossing to Alpha Phi Alpha. Not necessarily for just being a part of the organization or a member of the brotherhood, but the local brotherhood that I was able to be a part of and build with um, during my four years on campus and especially afterwards. Um, I, you know, I'm not I know fraternities and sororities aren't for everybody, and I'm not one to put my nose up on anyone who's not a part of a fraternity or sorority or that type of organization. But, you know, outside of all the jokes and shit that you see on social media, it's so many benefits if you're in it for the right reasons. It's not just about the networking for professional, you know, uh, climbing up the ladder per se, but it's also about friendships, brotherhood, 
You know, when I'm in many cities throughout the uh, America, when I travel for work, I'm often in a city where I know that there's a brother that I'm cool with. So, you know, if I ever need a, a couch to, to sleep on or if I want to just link up and just talk shit with my bros or, you know, bounce ideas off people who are like-minded individuals outside of the DMV creative scene, I typically rely on my brothers. I go up to New York so often uh, just because my, my fraternity brothers and my chapter brothers, line brothers, a lot of them are up there in Harlem and Brooklyn. So, you know, I always got to tap into the brotherhood, man, especially during these times where shit is so dicey. People lose themselves. You know, people are dealing with social anxiety and it's at alarming rates. And, you know, we have so many different identities that we got to keep up with. And that's not a jab. That's just real life. You know, you got your social media, you got um, your family, you got your work, you got by when you're by yourself and also when you're in person with other people. There's so many different masks and different iterations. I wouldn't say masks per se, but different versions of ourselves that we constantly have to keep pruning and keep sharp in order to feel like we're, you know, competent and doing stuff out here. So, um, but yeah, shout out to shout out to Alpha, man. I'm gonna wrap this up. Alpha has meant so much to me. I joined the fraternity because of my my grandfather who passed away. Uh, he passed away maybe two weeks before I found out I got accepted into Stanford. And you know, although my father dropped out of college, you know, my mother's in a sorority, but my grandfather was also a big influence on my life. So when I went to uh, Stanford, I made it a point that hey, if I wasn't necessarily going to pledge for sure. Uh, it had to be for the right reasons, but it was founded on the example that my grandfather set. So, you know, you always got to pay homage to those who came before you. And uh, so thanks, Grandpa. Hope I'm uh, continuing the legacy. December 4th, let's keep it going, man. Which is probably the most popular reason why December 4th is a big day is Sean Jay-Z Carter himself turns 50. 50 burger today, man. Shout out to Jay-Z. Jigga that nigga himself. What? I mean, so many classic albums. Jay has been a huge pivotal piece of my life as well. I remember one of the first few albums, CDs I was actually able to purchase, not illegally download, because I've been illegally downloading since I was like nine, but actually able to purchase. My mom gave me the thumbs up was two albums. It was Jay-Z, the black album, and Kanye West, college dropout. And this was probably like eighth grade or something like that. But, you know, I think about fifth or sixth grade, I was on this field trip to Williamsburg, um, you know, everybody in PG County school systems, you always had to do one of those field trips to like Williamsburg and look at the tobacco plantations and, you know, all that other sketchy, weird shit. But one of my boys, white dude by the name of Russell at the time, he uh, he had the blueprint and we were on our like bus headed down to Williamsburg. It was a three hour commute trip trip. And uh, we were just swapping CDs. I think at the time I was really rocking with Project Pat. I had a really diverse array of music tastes, but Project Pat was, for some reason, I was on that at the time. And so we swapped CDs, and this is back in the day when we had CDs, CD players, kids. I don't know how many youngins we have listening to the program, but uh, for those of you who are around my age, you remember the Walkmans, the Walkman, the CDs. Uh, so I listened to the Blueprint for the first time, and I remember Heart of the City came on, and dog, I just put that shit on repeat. Like, I couldn't help it. Like, I believe, probably for like an hour and a half there, in the whole three hours back, I listened to the Heart of the City maybe a hundred times, give or take. And, you know, Annie had come out when I was a, ch- a child. I mean, Hard Knock Life, excuse me. But, you know, really that relationship and my my, uh, my love for Jay-Z as an artist really kicked in around that time. As I continued to get older and listen to more of his music and hear more of the gems, I started to 
shape a lot of my uh, opinions and, and ways of existing in the world based on some of the things that Jay said. Like, we can do a whole podcast on this. And, you know, when I was on All the Fly Kids, when 444 dropped, we, we actually did a full episode on Jay. I would love to do something like that again, breaking out different albums. But I'll just leave you all with one bar that Jay said that really uh, has a profound impact on me. Like, people look at you strange, say that you changed. Like, I worked this hard to stay the same. Right. You know, especially today, everybody has this opinions on you and whether they found it or not or whether they met you or not. But at the end of the day, the only thing that we should really be focusing on is self edification. And that includes our communities, our families, our loved ones. You know, the list goes on. So not only from a business perspective, which is what a lot of people um, herald Jay-Z for, but he had life lessons for men you know especially black men young black men existing in this world and he communicated it in a palatable way it's that even a young kid like myself at the age of 12 13 um really gravitated to him uh, i'm gonna wrap up on jay-z but yeah i mean so many albums that he dropped whether i listened to those albums when that album dropped that day or that time frame or i just retroactively went back to listen have profound like time stamps in my life that's how you can tell when you really have um fandom or huge support or love for an artist when you can remember or tie different albums to different moments in your life like you know for example uh i was really listening to uh, kendrick lamar's good kid mad city all throughout grad school and i think that was the same time that like wiz khalifa's only nigga in first class came out and so you 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 match different albums and the eras with what you were doing in life. And what's funny is, is that Jay-Z has always just been a constant, you know, in that. Uh, I can point to multiple albums and, and tie those to different points in my life where I was developing or feeling like I was going up or down. So shout out to Jay and all the things that he's done. Um, you know, none of us are perfect, uh, but he really does set a good example in terms of how you should maneuver in these spaces jack i know you're a real hip-hop head music head in general man like yes, sir. what does jay mean to you or does he have a the same impact on you as he does for me oh yeah absolutely everything um man i guess my first jay experience was picking up volume two before hard knock life was out as a mm. single it was um money and a thing was the jay jermaine dupree and right. jay joint and then it's all right with him and bleak those were like the two lead, lead singles to that and i remember picking up that cd um it was just, it was the fall, because school had just started, mm-hmm. and um, man, Volume yeah, 2, uh, volume I think two. my favorite joint of Volume 2 might have been oh, uh, all, a week ago. I was going to say the same A shit. week ago, Dead yeah, ass, that's yeah the it was too one. short, yo. Yep, 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 absolutely, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Hove was everything. I mean, basically, up until, you know, up until that Black Album, which truly i think was his nod to the real fans of saying like jay-z the artist who really is like in this rap thing is retiring yeah i will still do it as commerce right right but this is my but that body of work from black album prior is just uh you know yeah is everything man for all of us i think that that was the end of uh jay wearing uh 23 jersey yeah exactly yeah, exactly exactly did he right. get wins with the four or five that's debatable i mean yeah i would say so in life yeah i mean albums uh, i'll sure, leave that up to other people american gangster i mean classic. michael jordan owns an nba franchise right? facts so, I mean, exactly <laughs> oh, so yeah so i mean it's, that's a perfect analogy so exactly. right, we're, gonna, we're gonna touch on jay-z a little bit later too with the title lap but um 
Yeah, let's keep it moving. So, Beanies, uh, thank you to everybody who came out a couple of weeks ago for the art showcase that uh, we put on courtesy of Art Show OGK for the Mink Beanies collection. Uh, it was a dope experience. Shout out to everybody who supported um, just helping to put the event on to begin with, whether that be Creative Hands Studio, uh, 52 O Street Northwest. Uh, shout out to Mike Ant. Shout out to Stram. Had amazing vegan food, courtesy of Good Green Grubbery, vegan finger foods. Shout out to Sankofa Beer Company, black-owned beer company based out the DMV, supplied a 24-pack of uh, wheat ale. I believe they have uh, beer on tap at the Caged Bird in DuPont. So if you were at the event, and I know a lot of people had um, high praise for the beer and you know for the food and all, everything else, but if you want more of that beer... Uh, and you just, you know, in the area, you know, check out Cage Bird. But more importantly, I just loved the energy. We had a great turnout. People purchased merch. We had beanies for sale, of course. And just to rewind, this whole showcase was to pay homage to many of the youth who've lost their life uh, due to gun violence in the DMV over the years. And everyone knows when you come to the DMV, we rock our beanies a certain type of way. I mean, you can say that's the East Coast thing, you know what I mean, or a major city thing, how we roll it up. But, you know, it's become a big kind of fashion statement or staple in the community. But a lot of us that don't even know or forgot where that came from, and, you know, a lot of that was rolling up the ski mask um, for a lot of youth during those times in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, and even today, uh, we had to roll roll it up. And so that's where that style came from. So shout out to OGK. Uh, my favorite artists love to collaborate with him. We're in business together, of course, silent partner, all that. But when we put on these shows, it's just super dope to see people come out, support, enjoy the music. Jiggy did a three-hour set. Shout out to Jiggy Season, uh, friend of the show, cameraman of the show, uh, overall utility man. Uh, and it was just great. Uh, I, I believe we need more of that. I, I like the dope parties and where there's hella people there and shoulder to shoulder and you got the popular DJs. I go to those, you know, I enjoy that. But, you know, these shows are in these intimate, purposefully built intimate spaces are intended for really the creatives when they really want to be in a creative social element. Like you could tell when there's a bunch of creatives in the city, but when we all gather around together and it's like a bunch of us at a party, it'd be so fucking awkward sometimes with the exchanges. You know what I'm saying? People who be super uh, vocal on social media you see them in person and they're like not like that at all. They're very reserved. and But, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the environment and how you perceive and how you take in energy and what works for you. So these type of shows, especially the Beanies event and the SBO event that we did in April with Chris Pirate, really goes to show that there's a market there in the DMV and probably any city in the world for more intimate spaces, people interacting. We had a great count of people who came in, but what impressed me the most was how long people stayed, how long people actually observed the artwork, how long people actually went up and approached the artists one-on-one to, you know, share praise or ask questions or get perspective. It was so many cameramen in the room. Uh, It was, at one point, it felt like it was more niggas with cameras than it was, you know, niggas actually buying shit, which is cool uh, for the next one. And, you know, I, I invite anyone who you know, wants to capture media to always pull up, you know, uh, as somebody who does videography myself, I will always appreciate the, you know, visual creatives like that. But to have like a water cooler where people can 
you know, be immersed in the art, be immersed in the merch, uh, be immersed in the culture that we have here in the DMV, but also network and but network in an organic way. So, yeah, um, that's all to say that Beanies was a great event. People are asking us to put on another one. I was going to wait till 2020, probably still will, uh, but not as late. I was thinking doing March, but me and Mink, uh, OGK, are discussing some uh, some earlier options, some pop ups and whatnot, because people are really fucking with the merch. We got some new stuff on the way too. Um, got great reception on online. So it's all about black business now, right now. That's what I'm about. Just uh, you know, bringing these different creative entrepreneurs together and creating experiences. And um, I applaud everybody who was involved. Uh, Art Basel. So I'll be in Art Basel or Miami tomorrow for the Art Basel experience. Personally, I'm going for a vacation because I've just been traveling so much to these different obscure cities throughout America for my job. Like having to spend a week in fucking Augusta, Georgia, or uh, 36 hours in Oklahoma City, or, you know, the list goes on. And, you know, uh, it's it's nice to finally take some time off and, and go to hopefully a place that's a little bit warmer there when than where it is here in D.C. It's like 35 degrees now, but I'm hoping for a tight 48. I'm cool with that in Miami. Hopefully it's a little bit warmer, 50. I feel like I'm a little bit spoiled, but um. I'm I'm most excited to be down there for the art experience. Every time I've been to Miami, I've done the more touristy stuff. I wouldn't even say touristy, but, you know, South Beach and Fountain Blue and all of that shit. But I've always wanted to go into the Wynwood District and, you know, really touch the people, the people who are kind of having communities like us up here. And so I know Tom Tom's down there doing his thing now. So shout out to Tom Tom. Shout out to Chris Pirate and the whole team. I know they got an event up here. Uh for Art Basel in D.C. actually sometime this week, as well as a showcase in Miami. So Tom Tom's not playing around. That nigga really is a facilitator. And he's, you know, him and the whole team are making moves. And I'm really looking out there to be there with friends. Shout out my boy Kelsey, one of my best friends from Stanford, just in life. Shout out to Sam. We're going to be out there kicking it. So, like I said, if you're going to be in Miami and you fuck with the show or you just fuck with Backpack Matt, I don't see how you can fuck with me but not fuck with the show because this is like backpack matt on steroids you get backpack matt you get jack you get bmo you get tom tom you get elise you get everybody alexia but uh if you want to see me i'm gonna be out there so let's get to some of these in the bag stuff uh you know this is pretty much a long ass in the bag episode anyway okay but it's you know i'm not going to really dive in and have the pre-scripted kind of monologue that i usually do since i'm pretty much monologuing for you know 30 40 minutes but some interesting things that I saw on Twitter and in the news over the past couple of weeks. So did y'all see this thing about Payless doing this pop up? Uh, it was a pop up, I believe, in L.A., but they renamed the store Palessi. Like oh, P- this is last year, right? Yeah. yeah. It was this, uh, this was a year ago. I just saw this on a timeline like yesterday or something like the, that. The Palessi one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, it was, uh, I believe, last November they, they did this. Word. Do you know more about that? I mean, I can... I can uh, no, I mean, not really. I just remember that it was kind of meant to, like, you know, put put a fake label and create hype around something, and, and do people take the bait? Ding, ding, ding. That's that's really all it comes down to, man. It's, it's positioning, positioning, marketing, and playing on people's, uh, I don't know if you want to say insecurities or, or buying biases. Label chasing, right? Label chasing, status chasing. But, you know, Pal- Palessi, which is really Payless, they did this pop-up in L.A., and they... Uh, 
highly marked up the prices. So you can go to like Payless. I haven't been to Payless in years, but shout out to Payless. You can get some shoes for about $8. You know what I mean? You get the 13 or something like that. It might not be a brand that you rec- like recognize. It, it. You know, back in the day, I remember they had Fila's in Payless at one point. So you can always come back up. But, you know, that's more of the lower tier, more affordable, commodity-based place. And, you know, I'm all for supporting people being able to get things for the low. But when they did the pop-up in L.A., they were selling, like, shoes that would have probably cost 13 bucks in a regular Payless for, like, $640. And people were buying it. And that just goes to show, like, I, I don't know what there is really to extract from that because there's so many other articles that I just want to touch on. But it's interesting, the human psyche and how we make purchasing decisions and how much we kind of hurt or shoot ourselves in the foot or how much we put status or weight on the price of the things that we purchase and wear um, as opposed to you know, letting the things that we wear and those accessories actually accessorize who we are. The, the core of, you know, your uniform should be yourself and everything else that you put on is, you know, what how, doesn't matter how expensive it is, how cheap it is, is should just be to add or amplify uh, what you want to communicate. And I think this just goes to show that it doesn't really matter uh, the worth or the price value because most of that shit depreciates just like cars depreciate off the lot. As soon as you take that shit out the store, unless it's like Bape or, you know, Supreme and, you know, you're in L.A. and New York and able to get it for the quick and flip, uh, you know, sometimes you're doing yourself a disservice if you're basing what you wear on the price tag. But, I mean, for the entrepreneurs out there, that also goes to show maybe you're just pricing your shit too low. Um, that's a fine line, you know, especially with, you know, Mink and, and what we're doing with the brand and, building that up and you know celebrities have worn it gold link for example i know gold link is in a lot of shit right now uh, we, we might be able to touch on that later but um but yeah celebrities have worn the brand and and all of that but it's it's interesting how you price something especially in the dmv shit be going like you can sell some like sweatpants for like i've seen i've seen jackets go for like 300 dollars. you know what i'm saying and that's kind of like mid-tier uh and i want to learn more about why certain DMV brands, clothing brands, uh, make the pricing decisions and the price point uh, decisions that they make. Is there analysis behind that? Is that cost-based? Is that market-based? Is that just based on how you feel? Or are you kind of playing to what Payless just showed with um, upping the price or marking up the price on something, kind of communicating to consumers that uh, this is of way more value than it really is, you know? So, I'm all about fair pricing, but at the same time, buy what you buy. You know, what I mean? it's your money. I ain't going to tell you what to do with it. You feel me? But, you know, just some food for thought on that. Uh, speaking of buying something at a shop and flipping it, I also ran across this article talking about China's sneaker resale market. Uh, the use case that they used was the Soulfly uh, Air Jordan 1 collaboration. It was like patent leather Air, uh, Jordan 1s with like the red swoosh on it. And apparently a lot of China youth are like, you know, 18 or older, whatever the legal age limits and all that is in China. I don't know. But them dudes was flipping those Air Jordan ones for, they said, 6,600 uh, percent. Like they would buy it online. You know, these Jordans could be like between like seven hundred seventy dollars and 200. And some of them were literally reselling these shoes for what would turn out to over ten thousand dollars online. 
And one quote, which is it's nothing mind blowing, but it's just good to see. Uh, I think one of the Chinese uh, entrepreneurs who they interviewed said, hey, I could have bought these shoes and warm or I could have bought these shoes and made a bunch of money off of them. And that's exactly what they did. And now with 6,600 percent, you can buy as many Soulfly Air Jordan ones as you want. You can buy about maybe like like 50 of them bitches and still have enough to like put down a, a, a money on a car. You feel me? But it's about the buying decisions and what you do. So uh, it just goes to show like uh, I feel like economics need to play more of a role in the creative industry here, man. I know I have a lot of friends who flip Supreme and Jordans and whatnot, and I respect that hustle, man. To buy something and then be able to get like a 50% markup on it just by selling it on an app like StockX. Uh, I feel like us as creative needs to find different revenue streams besides the the uh, the standard shit that you hear. People say like, yo, we need multiple revenue streams of income and shit. But do they do it? Do they give you more details on that? Do they sell you Ponzi schemes? Yeah, most of the time they do or it feels a little fishy. But there are ways to hustle out here in the creative industry for real. Supply and demand is a real thing, people. We are in a capitalistic society, man. You know, so I know a lot of us are down and out economically. Shit is bad um, for a lot of youth and millennials and Generation Z when it comes to the economy and job opportunities and just trying to stay above water. But I highly encourage you, if possible, to just continue to find ways to flip, man. I've been looking into not just letting my money sit in a bank account that's not really accruing interest, you know. Why not just have it in an exchange-traded fund and... Most of the time, some of these exchange-traded funds, if you pick the right ones, they'll give you 30% over the year. Now, for some people, that's not enough or that's slow money. But I think at this point, especially since I'm approaching 30, I'm just looking like, hey, where's ways that I can scale out without putting extra effort down? Time is so important. You only got 24 hours in a day, and I got so much shit to do. And I got to prioritize and make sure that all those things happen. I got to appease different people in my life to make sure that they're happy. And I'm doing my job and my responsibilities as somebody who's in their life. It'd be a family member, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like, look, I got to start doing more with this money. I got to make this money work for me, baby. You know what I'm saying? Money making mad over here. So if if any of this kind of uh, piques your interest and you're on social media or, you know, you're going to be in Miami, come talk to me about it because I don't have BMO or TomTom to really uh, chime off. TomTom would be great for this, too, because that's his this is his bag, you know. The resale market, thrifting, you know, economic value of, of merchandise. Uh, Jack, I know you are around a bunch of creatives and stuff. What are your thoughts on, on you know, when it comes to pricing and uh, getting the bag? Man, I, I'm bad at this. <laughs> I'm still working on it. And especially when you talk about resale and stuff like yeah. that, because I'll stay copping things like, you know, uh, new Nikes when they drop or Yeezys or whatever. Thing. Right. I'm, I'm, I always pick the wrong ones that got bad resale, and then I end up keeping them, and then I got too much shit on Grail that nobody's buying. Right. So you got, like, so you got it, sunk costs, shit right, on Right, and it backfires, because I'm like, damn, what I thought was going to be a little bit of extra income now is like sunk money. Right. Essentially. Yeah. That's a good point, man. I, I've uh, I've been thinking about putting money into like the stock market. I've thought about StockX. I have some. I got a toe in the stock market, yeah. but it's slow, man. It's, it's slow growth. Right, right. So uh, if you don't have big money to play with, it's like the gains are kind of right. Unless you got like, I say like, say for ETFs, like a exchange traded fund is uh, not just in, investing in one particular stock or one particular company, right, right. but it's a group or a collection. So it's similar to a mutual fund, but you don't have like somebody kind of controlling what companies are in that fund. It's just based on grouping. So you can do like a, the total stock market or you can do 
a bunch of uh, some of the top technology companies and just invest your money right. in that. And, you know, I'm thinking, all right, 30%, 30%, that's max. That means that... On a 30% return? That's max. That's user. major. That's like crazy. 10% yeah. is considered good, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've been... Uh, I've been. I just read uh, The Intelligent Investor, which is, I. you know, if anybody's interested in really scaling up money, I think that's the way to go. Warren Buffett has been a huge champion of exchange-traded funds because usually they beat, you know, that is the market. And most people who try and beat the market, 90, 90% of the time you don't. Uh, right. But you, that doesn't mean you're not making money. It just means that you're not maximizing as but much. But again, as you it's like all of this is cool. But if you don't have big money to throw at this stuff, yeah. most people, I think, our age, like you might have a few hundred to a few thousand, maybe, right, yeah. to throw at something like this. Yeah, right. And if you're getting ten percent on that, yeah. let's say you put five G's away. Right. So you made five hundred like bucks in the year. In the year, but like five hundred dollars stretched over twelve months is. Right, change for a lot of people. Right, you know what I mean. So I think a lot of people get into that stuff looking like, "Yo, I'm about to make some money in this time." It's like, nah, nah, nah. Now, if you put twenty five G's in, right, then that ten percent. Now you're starting to accumulate. Eventually, you get up to a hundred thousand one of these days. I am nowhere near that, bro. I got like two two hundred fifty dollars in exchange traded funds. Exactly, started that shit. And it's nice though. I I have some. I have some like maybe two G's total in the stock market, but it doesn't do much. Yeah, yeah. for now. Right, you know I think I mean? I'm up like seven percent on the year. That's really good, though. But again, I'm like, what is that really? Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like it's like a buck fifty. Or right something. now, right now, right. But hopefully, you know, we continue to snowball it. Over what time. I hope is I definitely have some of these cannabis stocks that are hurting Yo. right now. They're hurting. Bro, They're getting killed. You doing I, individual stocks or like the cannabis ETFs? Because I heard no, those in, are hurting too. Individual, but I think the whole industry is just getting killed. Are you looking at like the medical? Or are you looking at the? I have a, cannabis a, Aurora and um, Aurora and Canopy. Aurora is like one of the biggest uh, growers based out of California or something like that, yeah, right? Okay. Or, I think or Canada. Pro- producers. Oh, Canopy is Canada. Okay. So I have, I have some, st- uh, some shares in both of those. And that with that hope, I hope that like the way I see other kids that came up with generational wealth, which I didn't, you'll hear them say things like, well, my grandfather bought a bunch of McDonald's stock right, back in right, the 50s. Right. And then, so who knows, right? Shit. Like yeah. if that two, I think Aurora is three bucks a share. Yeah. I have like 40 shares or something. Oh, so, word, word. you know, in that price sensitivity, years, sensitivity, yeah. who knows? Right. Well, I mean, they're saying, uh, you know, the, the prices are going down right now because so many people are trying to enter the market. Uh, well, not so many people are entering the market because that would be a bullish market. But once uh, once more cannabis companies entered the market, the ETFs and the and all the stocks in those went down for some reason. And well, not only that, they're not performing well. Yeah. These companies aren't making money. You feel like, like the, the f- way that they said they were going to. Well, you feel like a lot of that is federal regulation. You I know? think everybody's sitting on the sidelines and waiting until the floodgate opens right. for real, for real. Right, because it's a gray market right now. It's in yeah. between. Exactly. Like, you know, you can go right here. You can just legal legalize uh, recreational use. But as soon as you get into Maryland and it's uh, decriminalized and it's state by state basis, but still federally overall, like it's still it's illegal. interesting. I definitely recommend people do their research. Word. Yeah. And um, speaking of this quick tidbit, I saw a couple of weeks ago there was a uh, I think it was the Congressional Judiciary Committee, uh, like 24 to 10 voted in favor of uh, a bill that would help legalize marijuana now that will that make the senate and pass no not in this administration not right now but this is the first time that a bill of this type has passed through said committee so i think there's progress i think it will be descheduled um a lot of this is uh, in terms of cannabis and legalization is is tied to um freeing a lot of people who were locked up mostly black and brown uh, due to possession or uh 
possession with intent to distribute. So I'm really interested to see what, you know, America hopefully can do somewhat of the right thing uh, to not just legalize this, but also provide opportunities for those who've been hampered down due to law enforcement um, to find a way to get back and, and double up their money and multiply and, and get these records off their sheets and allow them to be back out here and uh, con- contribute into society. You know, I always wonder, like, what some of our black neighborhoods, you know, how they would have continued to flourish if we were allowed to just move weed. You know Absolutely. what I mean? <laughs> you know, like how how we could have prevented some of the stronger drugs and and how that just eradicated so much of our our, our livelihoods and our communities. So um, now that I see that it's turning the tide and, you know, it's a lot of bullshit right now with a lot of the people who are getting permits there's not enough permits going out right now to companies that start you know actually legally selling by the state and most of the people who get those permits don't look like me so i want i want some changes and i I feel like we need to do some collective bargaining to make sure that that happens let's see what else i got i think i'm doing good on time okay so uh let's get to some other creative stuff music spotify so spotify announced a couple weeks ago that they're going to launch the spotify awards now, this award show is going to be strictly based on streaming statistics from the app, right? So I know it's what you got. The American Music Awards is based on the fans. The People's Choice Awards is based on the fans. But most of these other um, award shows for musicians are, are based on committees. And most of the time, same thing. A lot of the people who are voting on different categories like hip-hop and, and younger audiences or more ethnic-founded um, audiences or you know where these genres came from, you know, the people who are voting for who got the best hip hop album don't look like the hip hop artists who are being nominated. And um, I don't think there's a problem with that all the way. Right. Because we all love hip hop. But it's not even just about representation. It's like, bro, what the fuck? Like, are you serious? Like, you know, who else is having the, the, the crucial debates about these albums and going through um, dissecting these albums on a, on a regular basis and really seeing how these albums are impacting the people who those albums were meant to impact? Uh, and I think we need the the. The best way or the single source of truth right now that we can rely on is data. That's the equalizer. So shout out to Spotify for doing that. You know, um, I know they're really doing big things with the podcast. Shout out to Spotify and Full Service Radio and Jack for getting over the shoulder on on Spotify. So if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, shout out to you. But this is the shit I like to see, man. I like I like to see more fairness in the game. I'm engineered by trade. So when we always get to the data and the metadata of things and I've I can yeah, I can talk about metadata all day, but I already did an episode on that. But, you know, that I feel like that'll help uh, level the playing field for sure. Uh, speaking of streaming applications, uh, not necessarily the most popping ones, but Tidal announced that it's forming a partnership with Snapchat. Uh, it's kind of weird. Uh, I guess that's cool. It's kind of like when the, the fourth or fifth place in this one area and you got fourth or fifth place in the social media area with Snapchat are joining forces to take on everyone else i think it's gonna fall flat on his face because most of the kids most of the people who use snapchat you know if you're not on that freaky shit are like 18 or like 12 to 18 or 12 to 20 years old that's like 50 percent of snapchat's target audience or or uh, frequent users and i feel like most of those kids don't really fuck with title you know what i mean so um but the integration basically allows you to via snapchat post full-on songs in your snapchat which I think is also kind of weird. Uh, I think there's a way to do it. Like I know with IG and, and, and uh, Spotify, you can, you know, put snippets of a song through the APIs that 
uh, Spotify and Instagram to integrate it together. So when you're on a store, you can throw a song on there. I think that's how it's done. And I guess uh, Tidal and Snapchat are trying to do the same thing. But I, I don't hear about either one of these apps anymore. You know, the last thing I heard that dropped on Tidal was maybe that uh, Kanye West play. And I wasn't watching that shit. I'm just going to be honest with you. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but shout out to Tidal. You know, I, th- I still think... Um, Jay owns majority stake in that, but he also announced today that he's putting his full discography on Spotify. So I think that's a sign or telltale sign that he might be moving out of the streaming marketplace um, industry soon. All right, folks, I got a couple more uh, um, bullet points to get through. So did you hear that Google is launching its own checking accounts? Um, I did not. Yeah. So this, they're partnering with, a, I think, a small collection of banks throughout this, the, the, the country to allow users to sign up for checking accounts through Google. Now, I, I fuck with Google. I think Google is one of the, um, obviously one of the innovators in the tech space, and tech is at the backbone of everything that we do, basically. Um, they're one of the most secure companies, which is why I also fuck with them heavy. And they have, you know, different platforms that enable creatives and entrepreneurs to build products and hustle or, you know, um, get their products out there with ads and whatnot. But, uh, I just kind of feel like a little, it's a little big brotherish, you know what I mean? Like besides just the Google Pay shit that they rolled out, all of these major companies, Apple, Google, Amazon, et cetera, they're really just trying to tap in directly to our bank accounts. They're like, nah, don't pay me monthly, my nigga. Pay me all the time. Give me all that money, you know what I mean? Yep. So <laughs> um, it feels like a, a little monopolistic, we're feeling like we're trending towards with a lot of these companies coming out with... Um, ways to kind of hold your money and these aren't the traditional banks so to speak so well you know what's funny man it's like the cord cutter thing they really pulled the long scam on everybody talk about it because you know people that were cutting cable and saying i'm not i'm talking about Uh, video streaming now you know ah yeah cord cutting yeah it's like everyone's like well that cable bill is 60 bucks a month so i'm gonna cut that i'm just gonna get netflix and i'll get it now all of a sudden Mm-hmm. If you really want all that content, you're you're paying the you're same. You're paying the same, if and not it's more. like who owns the cable companies? Isn't it basically Disney? Like right. Comcast? It's, it's right. The same these major players. Time just, Warner. Yeah, and they're uh, reshuffling the cards, AT&T. and they're still getting the money. Right. These media and telecommunications mergers. Yep. Uh, which is pretty much how we all interact anyway. And you talk, you add in net neutrality, and, and right now things are cool. Oh yeah, man. It's all they're just resh. They were never going to take that L. And for a moment, no. I think people really thought. They, you know, oh, it's a new frontier. These giants will collapse. Right. No, they're no, not taking the L. They're streaming just, gold rush. No. They went back to the war room, and now you're seeing it with the Disney, the Apple streaming. It's like, right. here we are. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten Disney Plus yet. I think I'm hold out for a little bit. But uh, have you, you got it? You no, checked I don't it have out? shit. Man. Yeah. I don't, I don't. Smart. I just canceled Showtime. I forgot that I pay for it for Jesus and Mero, but <laughs> I, had to, <laughs> I had to back off that, that $10 a month. They should just have like, you know, like, hey, for two bucks a month, hey, you could just get Jesus and Mero, you know, at that mm-hmm. point. You know what I mean? That's all profit for them anyway. Hey, Showtime has great. Look, they all have great stuff. Right. But shout out to everybody using their mom's Netflix login. Facts. Yeah. Facts. Know? I know. <laughs> it's a little community I got because I think. I think I I farm out my my Netflix to my family, but I use my mom's HBO Go and you know, hey. let some of the homies use the Hulu. So it's like, yeah, I'm paying all this money, but I might not be watching these apps, but you know, at least somebody's getting value out of it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of apps, quickly, shout out to URL Battle Rap for doing an update of their application. A much better user interface. You, you all know I'm a huge fan of Battle Rap, and I feel like this is the next frontier for them because they, you know, 
Jack and I were talking about a lot of these small streaming companies not really able to, to break through. But when you have a niche market and a stronghold oh, yeah. on that niche market, and now instead of just putting your apps, um, your battles on, or product on YouTube and getting fractions of pennies on a dollar, now you're getting $8 a month or $10 a month when they scale that up per user. And, you know, you get to control all the data and get more insight. So shout out to URL for launching that and getting that off the ground. I got about five more minutes, so I got two more points. So um, first and foremost, I'm not a big fan of ICE. Now, ICE is the uh, uh, the immigration wing or sub wing of the Department of Homeland Security. And we know that they're, you know, under this administration, it's a lot of uh, black and brown people getting uh, uh, deported in courtesy of, of ICE. And um, they're being detained in these camps and treated unfairly and, and below humane conditions. And it's just really, really fucked up. But uh, a couple points in terms of how that intersects with what we do over here and talk about it over the shoulder. So I read this article that talks about how ICE uses Amazon Web Services to really, um, you know, put up their their infrastructure online. So um, all their databases, all their servers, all the, the critical um, tech pieces that they need to run their operation. They do a lot of that in the cloud via AWS, um, Amazon Web Services. And this was a contract Whenever you do stuff with the government, it's, it's contracted. So this was something that Amazon Web Services competed for. They put in a bid to help develop this. Now, I know business is business. This is America. This is capitalism. But we're also entitled to our opinions. And this article said that it was a, about 64 artists who said that they were going to take all of their content off of Amazon's platforms if Amazon would not uh, uh, renege on this contract. If, you know, they want Amazon and AWS to stop supporting ICE. Will this probably work out in their favor? No. But do I love to see it? Absolutely. And I mean, and that's our right to, to collectively bargain. I always talk about that all the time. But it's good to see artists try and do it. And I hope that they make an impact. And I hope uh, Amazon uh, thinks twice about what they do. Uh, but most of these corporations, especially the most uh, profitable organization in the world, probably doesn't give a fuck what I say. Speaking of ICE, uh, there was an article that I read in terms of McKinsey, which is like one of the top consulting companies, right? Like this McKinsey and Bain & Co., these big consulting companies, they help out with uh, running operations at the Grammys. And you remember when Steve Harvey fucked up, what was it, Miss America or whatever that oh, pageant yeah, was? Yeah. yeah, these companies like uh, McKinsey and Bain and Booz Allen who are behind these major initiatives in e media and entertainment. But uh, apparently McKinsey has been working with ICE and has gotten 20 million from ICE in the Department of Homeland Security to help strategize with them in terms of cutting down cost to help detain immigrants. So they're pitching things like uh, less food, uh, less money uh, uh, devoted to each detainee. So, and that's fucked up, man. And I feel like a lot of stuff goes under the radar, but here on Over the Shoulder and other, other podcasts and platforms that are like us, we need to shine a lot, a light on some of these organizations that aren't really making the moves that we need to make. I mean, we'll we'll kill Kaepernick and Jay Z all day, but you know these major corporations, we don't really do shit, and they're the ones who are really moving the needle on things. And my last point for the day, because I know I got to wrap up soon, uh, U.S. Patent and Trading Office. So the the U.S. Patent and Trading Office is a federal agency where you get all your trademarks, copyrights, etc., like you know reserve rights for your content your company, et cetera, your intellectual property. 
But speaking of intellectual property, IP or intellectual property is really based on something that you create, a work that you create from scratch, and you own that. You own a percentage of that. You own 100% of that. And that's how people sample you or, or, or sample your ideas. If you have your shit trademarked or properly trademarked, you can get, you know, get bread off of that as you should. But the, this one article that I read, I believe it was ZDNet or something like that, one of these tech blogs that I read that, that it poses a question. Can artificial intelligence own the content that it creates? Right? Yeah. Artificial intelligence or, you know, computers or a bunch of code programming put in place to do processes that in the past humans would do and take a lot longer and cost a lot more to do. Artificial intelligence can really do, you know, pretty much do anything in seconds. It's just high power computers making decisions and making calculated decisions. Um, no bias, no emotions whatsoever. But since they're not human, but these technologies are able to create products and create content, they can make tweets. You got bots who can communicate with you and all that. And it seems like it's just all coming from computers, computer generated. The argue has been the argument has been proposed, like, do these systems have intellectual rights over what they create? I think that's some scary shit. Uh, I feel like like I talked about with Andrew Yang and automation taking away a bunch of different shot jobs. Yes, that's going to happen. And that's just how, you know, the way a capitalistic society like America works, where things become cheaper, just like the cotton gin was introduced and it significantly uh, reduced the demand for headcount for slaves on plantations to pick the cotton. Right. And it's, I know this is not the same in terms of an analogy, but with automation and computers making decisions on the fly for cheap and quick, it's, you know, articles like this just double down on the point that we really got to make sure that especially as black people who seem to be last place uh, with keeping up with these trends that we're on top of our, our shit, you know, especially as a creative, you know, if these can com com computers can come up with content on the fly, we need to be a lot more intent, intentful and creative in terms of how we survive out here. So uh, that's pretty much all I have for today. Uh, tools of the trade. Tool of the Trade is a segment where we, we wrap up and we say our, our social media platforms and, and things that uh, that's currently helping us get through right now. So uh, I'll start and hopefully Jack can uh, finish up for me. But, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Backpack Matt. You can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Backpack. Uh, you can follow uh, our show OGK, which is where most of the merchandise that I'm a part of and I help is uh, at Art Show OGK on both Twitter and Instagram. And I say my tool of the trade would be uh, Audible. I know I probably said this before, but when I'm on these flights, I'm always just tuned in on audiobooks and just, you know, trying to peep as much game as possible and just stay sharp. So uh, that's my tool of the trade for today. What about you, Jack? Uh, forgive me if I've said this one before. My tool of the trade is um, picking an airline and sticking with it and having Thanks. a loyalty card, a credit card that gives you sky miles. Yep. Stack those up, play the game, do research, go on Reddit, see how you level up. Um, it's worth it. Gems. I, uh, I'm like 36 miles away from gold status on American. So mm, I see you. Yeah, this flight to Miami is going to take me over. So uh, I've, I've, I went to Japan for free. Nice. Um, I'm platinum on Delta for the last three years. That's fire. like, yeah, you'd be traveling across the country. So you'd be racking up miles. And it's time. just, it's look, if you got a job that reimburses you for any kind of purchases, man, put yep. that, put that on that, put credit that shit card. to use, put it yep. to credit card, get rewards on a credit card, exactly. stay with the same rental car company, just stack yep. up. Free trips, free vacations, free flights. Get that money. Get, Get it that. where you can. Facts. Peace.